It's a good word, isn't it? God's grace wins in the end. Hey, listen, let me, uh, let me, let me take care of a little bit of business before we uh, turn our attention to the Word. I know we've got a bunch of people visiting with us, and uh, listen, when it's cold outside, you never know who's going to show up. So we're really grateful that we've got a lot of visitors here today. Uh, let me tell you why today's a really good day for you to visit. On the uh, fourth Sunday of every month, we do a little thing after the service called Pizza with Pastors, because we think that discipleship and being a, a vital member of the body of Christ is a really important thing. We think uh, everyone should have a family and everyone should have a faith family. And so um, if you don't come, I'm going to take a lot of pizza home. And so um, you may not have signed up. If you didn't sign up, uh, we meet right underneath here in the basement. We've got a small auditorium. And um, I won't eat pizza if that means we get to invite another family today. And so um, that's not a sacrifice. That's a great thing. We would love to talk to you about our church and um, why we think we're one of the best-kept secrets in Rock Hill. And so uh, w- uh, I think there's a lot of people here that would say this has been a great place that has loved them and, and encouraged them in their faith walk, and we would love to be that to whatever family God's, God decides to send our way. So even if you haven't registered, um, you can see me right after the service. We've got plenty of room for you. We would absolutely love to have you. And if you didn't fill out in the um, uh, pew back in front of you, there's a little visitor card. We would love the opportunity to just have a way to get in contact with you because we want to be uh, good at following up with people that God sends our way, and we absolutely can't do that if we don't have a way to get in contact with you. So, um, Pastor Larry made a joke uh, in the first service that when it's cold, uh, you know, the cream of the crop is who comes out. And so, congratulations, you just got you just got you just got bumped up there. So, we are uh, we're continuing in a series called On Target Discipleship, and it asks the question: What are you aiming at? Because you're all aiming at something, whether you realize it or not. Last week, we talked about this whole process of checking in with God. And the way that we check in with God is through spending time in His Word and spending time in prayer. And so we talked about spending time in the Word last week. And just, man, it's absolutely vital, important. Uh, On our Facebook page, we posted some resources where you could uh, find some Bible reading plans that maybe would be an encouragement to you, provide some accountability. Today, we're going to talk about checking in with God through prayer. And here's the issue. Since y'all are the cream of the crop, I'm the only guy here that struggles with my prayer life, right? I mean, y'all are the cream of the crop. Praying is not hard for you. I mean, you got it. Like, you, you, not only do you pray, you pray in King James English, you know? So, like, you got it down. Holy Father, thou art the highest and bestest. That's not King James. A bestest isn't a word. And so, um, here's the deal. Uh, it is really, really easy to get stuck in a rut with your prayer life. You know, have, have you ever been, there's, a, this, this is a preacher story, so it might not be true. Um, there, there's the guy that, and I don't do this, I don't like call on people extemporaneously to pray, because you might not be awake when I call on you. And so, um, there's the story of the pastor that called upon a guy who had obviously been sleeping through the service and had asked him to pray. And he got up and he said, dear father, we thank you for this food. Oh, 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 oh wait, wait, we're not having a meal. And, uh. You know, we can kind of chuckle at that, but has there been a time when you've started the food prayer and you're not having a meal? You've just gotten so stuck in a rut, you're like, all right, this is not good. One, one of the things that we have done, we've tried to encourage our kids to, to understand that, you know, you don't have to be in church and you don't have to be <clears throat> in your, your, your bedroom, you don't have to be in your, whatever your special place is to pray. We want to pray all the time. And so one of the things, and we're not as consistent about it as we would like to be, but whenever we see a first responder, Let me tell you, if you want to have an encouragement to your prayer life, pray when you see a first responder responding. You don't know what it is. You don't know if it's fire. You don't know if somebody's choking, somebody's having a heart attack. 
You don't know what's going on. All you know is that it's, an, it's not good when the sirens are on. And so we, we kind of occasionally say, you know what, kids, there's an ambulance going by. We need to pray. And so I'm driving one day. This is years ago. I think we were still in Kentucky. <clears throat> and uh, we're driving down the road, and there's, you know, an ambulance going by. I say, all right, kids, we need to pray. To which Caleb from the back of the minivan goes, uh, Dad, you can keep your eyes open. And um, you, uh, you, you, we laugh at that. But listen, what had happened? I mean, at four years old or however old he was, he had gotten stuck in a rut that the way that you pray is you fold your hands and you, you bow your head and you close your eyes and that's how you pray. How many of you think that maybe in your prayer life you've gotten stuck in a rut? The prayer that you prayed last night, you know, it happens to be the exact same prayer that you prayed the night before and the night before and the night before and the night before. And you might be consistent, but the vitality and the energy and the blessing that comes from your prayer life, those are not adjectives that you would use to describe your prayer life. It is maybe rote, maybe dry, maybe consistent, but good? Maybe not. And listen, if we are going to be the disciples that God wants us to be, man, not only is it important to us to hear from God from His Word, it's important for us to talk to God through prayer. And so just kind of a, a quick little run through some scripture here today. There may not, may not be anything new for you this morning. So like if you're one of those people that like you're all like brainiacs and like you want something new, uh, there might not be anything for you, you know. And the, the truth is, since we gathered last week, there has not been a 67th book that has been added to the Bible. It's the same 66. And the point is this, the issue for most of us is not what we know, it's what we do. And so wherever you're at in your prayer life, if you, on a scale of 1 to 10, you're a 1 because your prayer life is just pathetic, or you're a 10, there's room for you to improve. And when you think about what prayer is, that prayer is speaking with the creator of the universe who sent his son to die to redeem us. Prayer should be the least boring thing that we ever do. Prayer should be really an exquisite divine privilege that we get to talk with our Father. So we'll walk through this. We'll spend more time on the the bottom half than we will on the top half, but we begin by talking about how prayer is an expectation for God's children. Prayer is an expectation for God's children. If you are one of God's children, he expects you to talk to him. How do I know this? Because that is the nature of a relationship. In a previous life, I worked for a seminary, traveled all over the country, and there would be perhaps three weeks out of four that I would be on the road. And um, God, I think God, I think God made cell phones. Sometimes I'm not quite sure, um, but uh, God made cell phones. And so when I would travel, it didn't matter if I was traveling two hours or I was traveling across the country. When I got where I was going to, I was expected to check in with my wife. She just wanted to know, were the roads clear? Was there traffic? Um, were your flights delayed? And, and the expectation was not because she was mean-spirited. She actually, the expectation was there because she cared. There was an expectation because of the relationship, <clears throat> excuse me, that I would check in with her and let her know that everything's okay. Now, it's not the exact same with God because God sees all things, He knows all things. But He wants us to come to Him and speak to Him. As a matter of fact, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 says that we are to be devoted. We are to devote ourselves to prayer. I don't know if that would be the adjective we would use to describe our prayer activity. Are you devoted in your prayer? 
I do my prayers. I don't know that I'm devoted. Right before our passage, we're going to be in um, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And right before that, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, verse 5 and verse 6, which, by the way, uh, you'll see uh, the scripture on the screen. But the Pew Bible in front of you, it'll be page 685. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, please uh, take that as a a gift from us. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, Jesus says, whenever you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. Verse 5, verse 6. But when you pray, go into your private room and shut the door. Verse 7. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters. When you pray, whenever you pray, when you pray. What becomes very clear here? Jesus expects his people to pray. So here's the deal. God expects you to pray. So there's, there's one of two things that are happening. Either you are praying or you're not praying. And if you are praying, you are either doing it with great vigor and joy and strength and blessing, or you're not. Those are really the only options. You're either doing it, you're either obeying or disobeying, but then you're either doing it right with greater vitality, or it's just kind of a thing that you do. It's something that you check off. And so we have to understand that while prayer is an expectation to pray and to pray well and to pray deep in a way that is, we, we, we sense God's blessings on our prayer, that is a struggle. I'll be the first to admit there have been seasons of my life where my prayer life has been fantastic. I mean, like I sense God near to me and I sense, I sense his spirit moving in my prayers and in my life. And then there are seasons where my prayer life is not like that. Okay, that's normal. But I think the fact that prayer is a struggle is why it is a command. You know, it's, it's interesting. The Bible tells, commands husbands to love their wives. You would think like that command wouldn't need to be there. But it is, because you know what? You have a bad day, and you might love your wife and be committed to her, but you sure aren't acting like it. You're, you know, what happened with Ben when he talked about his injury. His team won the Super Bowl, and he was a jerk to his family because he loved his wife, he loved his family, but his circumstances kind of made him different. So we have this command, regardless of how you feel, what's going on, there's this command to pray. Fortunately, when Jesus goes through the model prayer in verses 9 through 13, we learn that prayer is a discipline that must and can be learned. So wherever you're at in your prayer life, here's the good news. You can do better. You, you can do better. You can actually receive blessing from your prayer life, not just something that you check off on your spiritual checklist. Look at verse uh, 9 of chapter 6. Jesus says, therefore, you should pray like this. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm going to teach you. Prayer, the discipline of prayer, praying well is something that can be learned. And I love in the the verses right above the Lord's Prayer, he makes it very clear that prayer is not an issue of a complicated ritual or technique. It's not a showy display of religiosity. It's not working up some exaggerated form of fervor. It's not babbling for hours on end, hoping hoping that you can exhaust God enough that you can twist his arm to get him to do what you want. It's simply talking to our Heavenly Father. Here's the thing that's amazing. I mean, you all have heard the Lord's Prayer. Most of you could probably recite it. But Jesus, in the model prayer, teaches us in 52 words or less how to pray. 52 words or less. Uh, It's tweetable, you know? Jesus tweeted the model prayer, and he found a way to, to do it. It was short. It was brief. But even though it is brief, it is broad. I mean, you can sweep, you can swim in the deep end of the pool with the Lord's 
prayer. It is heavenly. It is earthly. It is present. It is past. It is future. It's got everything. And here's the things that we learn when we stop to examine what the Lord's Prayer says. Number one is that it can be learned. Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. Not saying this is the only prayer you can pray. He's saying this is a model. You can pray like this. But prayer also begins with a very special relationship. Verse 9 says, therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven. It's an interesting juxtaposition of terms. Our Father. Father meaning uh, a relationship of warmth and intimacy. Um, A guy that you can throw the football with in the front yard. Somebody that you go to with your problems. He's our Father, but he's our Father in heaven heaven. He is absolute. He is sovereign. He has authority. And do you see this relationalness, this nearness, and also this kind of absolute power, sovereign godness in this very way saying, this is the God that we have a relationship with. When we pray, we pray to him as our father, but our father who is in heaven. And we're reminded that when we pray, part of our prayer is just to adore him and to thank him for what he has done for who he is, for what he will do. James 1.17 says this, every, <coughs> excuse me, every generous act and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And with him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. Every good thing that you get ultimately comes from God. That's a pretty amazing thing. So think through your week. Somebody was nice to you this week. You know what that person's niceness is supposed to be a reminder of? That God is nicer. Because every good and perfect gift comes from God. So every good, kind, gracious thing that has happened to you this week should remind you that as good, kind, gracious as person X was, that is a small tidbit appetizer that God is cooler, grander, kinder, gentler, more gracious than the person that blessed you. And so we're told every good and perfect gift comes from our Father of lights. Matthew chapter 7, 11 says... That you then, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? He's a good father who wants to give good things to his children. It's been said that prayer is one of the greatest expressions of praise. When you pray, you are admitting that God is worthy of your worship. So prayer is at once the greatest expression of praise or reverence but it's also the deepest expression of humility because I don't know anyone that prays that says, Dear self, I need help. you need help today. That would be kind of weird. We have to admit that we have come to the end of ourself and our prayer by praying it to God is not just an expression of worship to Him, it's an expression of humility to ourself. And when we pray and intercede for others, it's the broadest expression of love that we have. It's an amazing thing. How much do you have to not like someone to not pray for them? A whole lot. That's terrible. You know, and listen, we all do it. You know, you see somebody on Sunday, they got something going on, you say you're going to pray for them, and then you see them next Sunday at church, and you're like, oh, crud, I said I was going to pray for them. You know, hey, uh, God bless David. Hey, David prayed for you this week. You know, it, uh, it just happens. We're sinful, we're human, we're finite, we make mistakes, we forget. But um, prayer is a way that we express love. So prayer is just talking to him. And I think sometimes we think through, okay, God is God, so how do I need to approach him? Um, What do I need to say? What do I need to do? And think about it like this, okay? 
<coughs> let me say this. I think that respect is a disappearing virtue in our day and age. Nobody respects anybody anymore. So is it important for kids to respect their parents? Extraordinarily important. Okay, but let's say your kid has a problem, okay? And they so respect or fear you that they spend three hours thinking about how do I need to approach my dad? What do I need to say? How do I need to dress? What's the, what's the, what's the best way for me to approach them? And all they need is some help with their homework. But they're going to spend all this time thinking about how do they ask for help that they never actually, they fall asleep forgetting to ask for help because they're so fearful of their father that they don't get around to talking to him. Parent, would that honor you? Or would that really make you sad? Your kid is more concerned about the particulars of how to approach you than actually approaching you. And listen, that doesn't mean that we can't pray with greater variety, that we can't pray with greater intentionality, with greater reverence. But listen, if we think about praying, that's not praying. Praying is actually talking to God. And so don't be that kid that's so afraid of your father to come to him. It's important how we come to him, and we need to do that with reverence. But at the end of the day, praying is talking to him. <coughs> and the truth is we honor him by coming before him. Now, um, I've heard this phrase before when we talk about how proper prayer looks. I heard this probably when I was in middle school, and so it stuck with me. It's... it's uh, Got, it's, it's a little bit cheesy, but there's a lot of truth in it, okay? So um, I've heard that if you want to find joy, you learn how to put Jesus first, others second, and yourself last, okay? Not original with me. I heard it in middle school. It probably wasn't original with my pastor, but it stuck with me. And so one of the things that we have to do in our prayer life is we have to seek for joy. We have to seek for joy. We have to uh, pray for what Jesus tells us to pray for. We need to put first Jesus's priorities. We need to intercede for others. And then very lastly, we pray for ourselves. And so um, it's very easy for us to pray self-centeredly. And I think a lot of us kind of approach prayer kind of like going to Santa with our wish list. Here's all the stuff that I want to work out. Here's all the things that I need you to do for me. And we don't ever think about what are Jesus's priorities for our prayer life. And so we see proper prayer firstly acknowledges Jesus's priorities. Look at verses 9 and 10. Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven... Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments start with four specific commands about how we relate to God, and then the other six relate to how we deal with each other. In the same way, uh, the Lord's Prayer begins all about Him, His name, His kingdom, His will. So three ways that we've broken this down. We talk about Um, Our prayer, when we are talking about Jesus' priorities, our prayer must be a prayer of reverence. Our prayer must be one that is concerned about the reign of God. Our prayer is one that is concerned about righteousness. And so if you had any question, if you were in a Southern Baptist church, I just alliterated three subpoints. And so you absolutely know you're you're in a Southern Baptist church because we've got to make everything start with the same letter. But it works. It fits in there. When he says reverence, he's talking about his name. We are to sanctify his name, to treat it with holiness or reverence and in his prayer he starts off by saying god our father in heaven we want your name to be reverence we want your name to be respected we want it to be revered god we pray about your reign we want your kingdom to come here's the thing despite the news despite political season despite 
snowmageddon, icemageddon, whatever it is, despite what you see, here's the reality. God's kingdom is coming. It's going to catch some people unaware, but it is coming. And we know (coughs) that there is a then that will one day be here. And when we're praying for God's reign, we're saying, God, we want your name to be revered. And when we watch the news and we get on the internet and we look around, your name is not honored, you are not loved, and you are not obeyed. So we want your kingdom to come now because we want you to be revered. And you are not. There is no fear of God. There is no respect of God. We have, all of us, learned to live very comfortably without God, with God only being something that we do on Sunday. We are practical atheists. And he's saying, we want your kingdom. We want the then to be the now so that you will be properly loved and obeyed. And he says, not only are we concerned about his name being revered, his reign, his kingdom coming now, but we are concerned about his will. We're concerned about righteousness. This means the here and now. The kingdom is coming, but God's will is operative for you right now. God wants you to do his will, and that is to live righteously. He's concerned about your conduct, not in the hereafter, but the now. And the Bible makes very clear that God's will, we can simplify it, and in some ways this is helpful. God wants three things from every person. He wants them to come to knowledge of salvation. He wants them to progress in sanctification, and he wants them to serve. So today, you're going to find yourself on that continuum in some way. God wants you to know him in a saving relationship. And if you don't know him that way, you're out of God's will. God wants you to live a life that reveres his name by living like he is king. And so if you're not living righteously, you're outside of God's will. And if you are not serving in a way that's not self-centered, because listen, people outside the church, how do they serve God? Whatever is convenient for them and fits their schedule. But when you get together with 300 people and you're in a church, you might get asked to do something that you didn't think about doing when you came to church this morning. You might get asked, if you've been uh, properly background screened, you might get asked to work in the nursery and change dirty diapers. I don't know if that's a spiritual gift. I think that it is, and I don't have it. Um, I, I put my time in. I've changed every kind of dirty diaper you can imagine, and I will do it because I love Jesus, but not because I want to. But when you come to church, you might get asked to give up your seat. You might get asked to hold a door. You might get asked to walk an old lady to her car because there might be a little ice on there. You might be asked to serve, and service was the last thing on your mind. If you're not serving the Lord in some particular way, you are outside of the will of God because he wants these things. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be sanctified, to live righteously, and he wants us to serve. And I love the way these petitions about Jesus' priorities end because it ends with on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't think that's just kind of like a nice way for him to put a bow on everything. I think they actually apply to the three petitions. Uh, Our Father who art in heaven, may your name be honored as holy on earth as it is in heaven. God, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. God, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we are reminded that there's this huge gap between what is going on in heaven, how God is reverenced and obeyed, and how he is reverenced and obeyed here. And we're saying, God, come. We want to pray for your priorities not just ours. Guys, listen, what percentage of your prayers are for God? And what percentage of your prayers are for you? You know, I got a corn on my toe. I got a zero in my checkbook. I got a flat on my car. I got a wife who burns water, you know. 
whatever it is. We start praying. <laughs> not really. She cooks really good. Y'all are, y'all are being mean. My, my wife's a good cook. I was not. Um, we pray very selfishly. And I, I think we could stop right here by talking about praying for Jesus' priorities. And I know for me, and I'm assuming for you, there is enough for us to repent of that we can have the altar call and we can all repent and say, God, forgive us for being so shallow in our prayer life. And he goes on in his instruction to us, and he says, you know what? Not only do we seek Jesus' priorities, but proper prayer intercedes for others' needs. Proper prayer intercedes for others' needs, and we see this in the remainder of the prayer, verse 11 through 13. Give us, we're included in this, it's third person plural, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The first part was all about him and his priorities. This next part is all about us and our needs, our bread, our forgiveness, our deliverance. And we talk about this in three ways. Uh, and Manny, it's good. Three more good Southern Baptist alliterated points. So uh, you love it. We're, we're told to pray for provision, to pray for pardon, and to pray for protection. Provision, daily necessities. God, give us this day our daily bread. I imagine somewhere in some church, there's some sweet old lady that said, oh, hon, listen, when we pray, we're only supposed to pray for spiritual things. That's not what Jesus said. He says it's okay to pray for your daily necessities. Jesus here on his own lips and giving us a model prayer says it is okay to pray. Give us today our daily bread. The challenge for us is we think God exists to meet our greeds, not just our needs. I think God's there to just be the little genie that we rub, say, you know, you're the winner of a brand new car. Thanks, God. You're great. You know, but is he great when you got an old busted up car? Absolutely. It's interesting, he says, that we pray for our daily bread. You know, I I wish I could pray for like weekly bread. I got a big pantry. I got a garage with some closets. How about some monthly bread, God? You know, that would be good. And the problem is full barns make for empty hearts. We forget God when our needs are met. When you know that you need him to provide your needs, oh, listen, your prayer life is good. But the minute your needs are met, what happens to your prayer life? You know what? I don't need to pray because I'm self-sufficient. I'm all right. Jesus here validates praying for bread, but it's important for us to find ways to tie our temporal needs to spiritual ends. Let me uh, give you two scripture passages. They're not on the screen. <coughs> these, are, these are free. These are extra. <coughs> Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. says this. Um, I love this. <coughs> it's Proverbs, so you know that it's wise. It's just got a wise ring to it. He says, Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or if I have nothing, I might steal and profane the name of my God. Proverbs 30, 8 and 9. Don't give me too much, because I'll forget about you. And don't give me not enough, because then I'll be tempted to steal, and then I'm taking the Lord's name in vain by doing something that's not righteous. I shouldn't steal. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, says this. When you eat and are full... And you build beautiful houses to live in. And your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and your gold multiply. And everything, you else, everything else you have increases. 
Be careful that your heart does not become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. And don't we live in the land of plenty? Amber waves of grain and purple mountain majesties. There's a danger in prosperity. There's a danger in making much of the blessing and forgetting the blessor. And he says, man, pray for others' needs, but pray for their needs. Help them to be daily dependent. Don't pray for, you know, because listen, we would all like to pray one prayer for everybody who gets sick and never have to pray for them again. You know, <clears throat> you know, God, we pray for veggie. You know, I know he's got that growth on his face. You know, we want it to go away. <laughs> and uh, you got me last week, so I see I got the microphone now. Um, you know, you just, you want to you pray one prayer and be done. Sometimes that growth on his face is going gonna to take a lot of prayers to go away. You know, it, sometimes it's not one prayer that gets someone out of the hospital. It's not one prayer that fixes a marriage. It's not one prayer that brings a wayward son home. Sometimes we have to labor, and there's a character-forming nature to our persevering in prayer that is good. He says that we're to pray for pardon. <clears throat> I think this is really sweet. Here, Jesus is giving us the example of how to pray, and in a way that's not self-aggrandizing, Jesus puts himself in the prayer. We're to pray, you know, Father, forgive us of our sins as we forgive our debtors. How is our forgiveness possible? Only through Jesus Christ. So he doesn't say, hey, you know, pray in my name. You know, here I am. I'm the son of man, the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity. He says, when we pray for forgiveness, we are, we are honoring what Christ has done for us on the cross, that we are sinners saved by grace, and that's how we get our pardon. That's how we get forgiveness is through his death. And he's not saying, hey, forgive us our sins when we forgive everybody else. Not like it's some kind of manipulative thing. Like, I, God, listen, I forgave five people this week, so I should get at least five freebies. No, that's not his point at all. It's just saying when we experience his grace, when we've been touched with his forgiveness, we're the kind of people that want to give it to others too. Freely you've received, freely give. And then he talks about protection. He says, don't bring us into temptation. Don't, don't give us more than we can handle, but deliver us from the evil one. And lastly, because this, these were all third-person plurals, we see that it's important to pray for your needs too. The truth is, we take this J-L-Y, Jesus, others, you, and we turn it on its head most time, don't we? Let's pray for me. Oh, yeah, pray for others if it's really big and I remember it. And then pray for Jesus. Jesus doesn't need us to pray for anything. He's, he's God. We don't need to pray for Jesus. For he, he needs to worry about me. It's not true. We're not asking God to do our bidding. We are trying through the discipline of prayer to have God shape us to have a heart and a character like his. And when we pray for what Jesus wants us to pray for in the right order, then your prayer doesn't become this perfunctory thing that you do at meals or at bedtime. It becomes something that becomes a vital relationship uh, in your walk with the Lord that changes you. Because it's not just rub-a-dub-dub thanks to the grub. It's God, how do we pray for your name, for your will, for your kingdom? How do we intercede for others that even though their body is broken that you will do something spiritually in them, that even if they die, they'll have the opportunity to be with you and they'll be glad. And they'll be faithful to the end. We attach spiritual goals to prayers that are earthly and temporal. Third and finally, power, a powerful prayer requires a plan. You know why most 
Christians have a, a really lukewarm prayer life? Because they don't plan for anything else besides that. You know, I call them flare prayers. You know what a flare prayer is? Is whenever you get in trouble. God got a test. Known about it for two weeks. Started studying five minutes ago. It's in half an hour. Help me, Lord. Well, he did help you. He let you know about it two weeks ago. You know, he, he, he helped you all that, all you need. So don't blame your grade on God now. Prepare. And see, we, we, don't, we don't plan our prayers. We just shoot the little flare. Hey, it's me. Come rescue me. And having a prayer life that is not planned is kind of like the family that wakes up one day and decides to go on a four-week vacation. Where are you going to go? Nowhere if you don't have a plan. How are you going to get there? If you don't have reliable transportation, good luck. You're not going to get a plane ticket at the last minute. This totally did not work in the first service because everybody's retired in the first service. Like, you know, we could get up and plan a four-week vacation. We don't really care where we go. We just could go wherever and wander on. But for normal people, how many of you are going to take a four-week vacation if you didn't plan it? It's not going to happen. You know, you and the wife unit are going to have an argument about do we go to the beach or do we go to the mountains? All right, well, there's a day wasted. So now you're down to a three-week, six-day vacation. You know, and then what are you going to do and how much are you going to spend? It is not going to happen without preparation. And then the same way, you will never have more power in your prayer life if you do not plan. Instead, you'll be like the family that talks about going on a four-week drain vacation, but the truth is you stay home and you watch reruns of Dawson's Creek or Mork and Mindy because you don't have, you don't have a plan. You're not going anywhere. You're stuck at home watching t- TV, enjoying, you know, Zach and Saved by the Bell, but you're not going on vacation because your, plan, your lack of a plan has ruined any advancement in where you're going. So the truth is, your plan doesn't have to be sophisticated. You know, you don't, if your plan is a 52-page PDF, you have probably overcomplicated things just a tad bit. When are you going to pray? I think, I think a good plan is to say, I'm going to do more than just pray for my meal. Listen, you want to know what's interesting? I, I, like, I love to watch people. And so, like, if I, 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 I watch people when I go to restaurants. And you know what? There's a lot of Christians afraid to pray in public. You know, or they, they make it like they drop their napkin. Dear God, bless our food. Thank you very much. Amen, let's eat, you know. They don't want to look like, you know. Or, you know, then you're worried about the waitress, like, coming up and standing over you. She's got your salad dressing, you know, and you're, like, praying through, like, the books of the Bible, and she's just standing there waiting to give you your stuff. You don't want to be in imposition. But listen, are you, are you afraid to pray in public? You know, I think it'd be awesome if our church was so well-known as a praying church that you've got a bad day, I don't care if we're in the middle of the mall, stand in the middle of the street, although you need to pray fast if you're standing in the middle of the street, wherever you're at. We say, you know what? I got nothing for you. I can't help you with your situation. Let's pray. We don't care who sees. We don't care what they hear, the words coming out of our mouth. It's a communication to our Father. And so just saying, you're going to have the tenacity to pray in all circumstances, wherever you find yourself. But one thing that has really been helpful to me, because... Um, <clears throat> honestly, the, the rut thing is something that I deal with, you know, and so uh, I, I'm human, you deal with it too. One of the things that has really kind of revitalized my prayer life uh, regularly, it just it seems that I forget the lesson, is how do we, how do we really make our prayer life more powerful? Now, I'm going to give you a math equation. Uh, my wife's already checked it out. It, it works. Um, 
But if you add these two things, I really think it, 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 it contributes to powerful prayer. The Bible. The Bible. This, you're going to think I'm going to give you a non-Christian word here because it's going to sound it. The Bible plus meditation equals prayer. Bible plus meditation equals prayer. What do I mean? Well, we know what the Bible means. You're supposed to read it. You know, um, you're supposed to live it. You're supposed to memorize it. You're supposed to meditate upon it. Now, the problem is the minute you hear the word meditation, you start thinking like yoga or, you know, you're supposed to like empty your mind and connect with the cosmic consciousness, whatever in the world that is. Okay? When the Bible talks about meditation, it is not like Buddhist, Hindu, New Age. It's not that at all. That is empty your mind. What is Christian meditation? You fill your mind up with God's word. And listen, most of you, your minds could use a pretty thorough cleansing with God's word, couldn't it? The Bible says you're supposed to dwell on things that are good, that are righteous, that are holy. And you know what? It's like birds flying over your head. You got bad thoughts coming in all the time. You need to get those out and you need to let God's word take up residence there. And so when we talk about meditation, we're talking about really dwelling on what God's word means, not just reading it, dwelling on it and understanding its implications and what it means and then you 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 read the bible and you eat it and then you digest it through meditation and you breathe it back out through prayer you know what's awesome about that um like i i hate to hear my voice so yeah are you with me i I hate to hear my voice every monday our services are recorded and i edit them for the web i hate to hear my voice this little squeaky thing that comes out my lips I would love to be James Earl Jones or to have, you know, something that didn't sound like Mickey Mouse. You know, it's just terrible. So I hate to hear my voice. And, you know, have you ever, like, stopped to listen to yourself pray? There's, like, 25 Father Gods in a three-sentence prayer. You know, Holy Father, Holy Father, Holy Father. Listen, he knows who he is. You must be the one who keeps forgetting because you've got to keep saying his name. Like, if you had a conversation with someone like that, that would be really weird. It'd be like, why do you keep calling my name? What is up with it? Do, you, do I have a name tag on? What's going on? And so the, the problem is, like, Keith Patterson could probably tell you, like, whatever my tell is, like, whatever my word of the month is. Like, I get stuck on, oh, man, isn't this beautiful? Man, this is really interesting. There's, there are phrases that you get stuck on. Okay, do I have one right now? No? Okay, read. Truth is, there we go. <laughs> All right, that is, out of the, that is out of the vocabulary now. My wife will tell me, you know, here... You said, like, the truth is, like, 15 times. I'm like, okay, (coughs) that's gone. Um, (laughs) There's nothing wrong with saying God's name to him repeated times, but if it's just filling the gaps and trying to sound more pious, then there's a problem. And so here's the thing that's awesome. I don't know that I've ever had an original thought in my life, okay? That's not me. But you know what? I got 66 books worth of stuff to drink in and breathe back out to God that are words that he has inspired. Listen, I don't have any inspired words. I don't even have any inspiring words. And so if I want my prayer life to be better, why not pray back to God his own word that he loves and that he blesses? You know what? Here's one of the things that I am fully aware of. One of the reasons I don't tell a lot of stories, I don't tell a lot of jokes, I try to explain the scripture, it's it's all I got. If you don't want the scripture, I don't have anything else for you. And I don't say that out of despair. I say that because I'm really proud of that. 
because the best thing that I could give you would, 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 would be terrible compared to the least thing that God could give me. The power is in his word. And yet we divorce the, the word from our prayer life. And we're like, all right, I'm going to spend time in the word and then I'm going to spend time in prayer. Why not join the two together? And when we talk about checking in with God, if your prayer life stinks, it won't stink anymore when you're praying back God's word to him. He blesses it. He wants to honor it. And so I think it was Spurgeon that said, meditation is the sister of reading and the mother of prayer. That's a great way to say it. Meditation is the sister of reading and the mother of prayer. What we do with the word, how we dwell on it, how we ingest it, how we live it out, how we meditate upon it should infect and inform our prayer life. And so when we talk about checking in with God, the thing that we don't want is a harmonica. No. Um, <laughs> Chris, you need to turn your phone off, man. Um, <laughs> oh, that's all right, Ronnie. <laughs> the, um, the thing that we don't want when we talk about discipleship, okay, is um, you're Americans just like me. You know what I do sometimes if I have a busy day? I make a checklist just to check off all the stuff that I've already done because then I feel good about myself. I'm like, man, I had a productive day. I didn't start off with a checklist, but I'm going to go back and retroactively check things off that I have done, because we do that. Like, Reed has checklists for his checklist, so he's just as bad as I am about this. We have a task list. You've got your calendar, whatever it is. Here's the challenge, is to make what you do in word and prayer not that. A relationship where you hear from God and you speak to Him, and He changes you through it. Not just you check off your duty for the day, but that you learn. But you know what? God's whole purpose was to take you to heaven when you die, then he could have killed you the minute you prayed the prayer. He has a job for you to glorify him and to shine a light for Jesus every day. And you know what? Your, your light gets really cloudy if you're not communing with your commander-in-chief. If you're not listening to his word and you're not speaking with him, then you're a, you're a dim bulb. And if we want to shine bright for the Lord, we have to seek his face uh, through the word and prayer. So you know what you need to ask? Whoever's sitting on your row or sitting in front of you or sitting behind you that you're going to see sometime this week, okay? See him at the the supermarket. See him, you know, wherever. Have you checked in with God today? Have you done it? Because you will be a colossal waste of skin and bones if you don't check in with God regularly. I don't want to be a waste of skin and bones. God has created me for something greater than just kind of merely existing. He's given me the ability to live. And he's given me life in the name of his son and he's done the same for you. So let's pursue God by checking in with him. (coughs) Pray with me, please. God, we thank you for this day. And uh, Lord, we just confess to you that by talking about how terrible we are with our prayer life, God, give me this, help me with that, and we don't pray for your priorities. Lord, we need your help. I pray that your spirit will convict us of ways in which we have been lazy in our prayer life, and that you, by your spirit, will reinvigorate it. God, we, we know that you want us to pray for your name to be reverenced, and it needs to be reverenced in our lives. We need to pray for your reign to come. And God, people need to know that you are the unquestioned king of our lives, that 
We need to pray for uh, righteousness that you want us to live for you. And so God, I pray that today, if it's our prayer life that needs to change, if it's our affiliations, there may be people here today that are not a member of your church. They are unaccountable and they're not a part of the family of God. God, that needs to change. And we pray that as we seek your face through your word, that you will help us to pursue you with right passions, with right motivations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.